This is unstructured. Hey, today we have Jennifer Briney of the Congressional Dish Podcast, which is a fantastic podcast, really doing a deep dive into Congress. She watches C-SPAN so you don't have to. <laughs> How are you doing today, Jennifer? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here. And I have to tell you the one element of your show, I know Dave Jackson brought it up too, but I'll probably have to steal it or do something like it. Your golf club. Yes, the golf swing. <laughs> the most controversial thing about my show is the golf swing. <laughs> is it really? I mean, people don't like it or they complain or what? Oh, the, the emotions are high on both sides. So I get people that, for people that aren't aware, I censor my show, but not in that I hold back the things I say, but I swear a lot. It's just part of my personality. And so in order to allow it to be in all of the directories all over the world, because some of them don't allow you to be in their directories like China, India, if there's any swears in your podcast at all, they take you out of the directory. So what I do is I have a golf swing sound effect that goes over, you know, the really bad words that would get you kicked out. But the golf swing, it finishes the words. So you know exactly what I'm saying. And um, it's funny because I get these people that go out of their way to thank me for it. So they'll say stuff like, I listen with my 12-year-old. And so I really appreciate you doing that. And then I have people being like, that's censorship. Why do you do that? Oh, I'm not going to support Lord. you. And it's just like, uh, it's a sound effect. <laughs> like, do you not watch The Daily Show for the same reason? This is stupid. So now for my Patreon supporters, I have a golf swing free version. And um, yeah, really? so we've figured out a happy happy medium but i still get emails all the time on both sides like love it hate it but it's strong emotions that's actually good though because there are some who say polarize your audience to grow it um i like it because it adds a rhythm and a pattern to it that is funny it's like a it's like you're spitting at people while you're doing <laughs> it if you hear it's like you know you're spitting mad and it's just funny it it adds a lot more I actually think that not having it probably would make the edge a lot sharper. Well, and my father is, he's quite conservative. I didn't get my potty mouth from his side of the family and he's my biggest fan. So we actually had a long discussion when I was starting this show because he just doesn't like the way I talk. And I just told him, dad, I'm still going to talk this way. And he's like, is there any way to just make it <laughs> sound better? Because you just sound like trash. And I was like, okay, how about this? And he agreed that this was a good compromise. So it really just started with me trying to please daddy. Like that was the original. And then I found out about the iTunes thing and it was like, okay, this makes perfect sense. Now I should do this. Well, that's cool. And it, it I actually smile when, it, when you do it. And I'm wondering <laughs> if he does too, because like I said, it's kind of funny. It, it does it takes all the edge out yeah he thinks it's funny now it took him a while but he thinks it's funny now <laughs> well cool now um i want to get into really quickly what is your process for the show because you are covering a whole ton of information and i can tell you as an interviewer if you've heard my show one thing i don't have is intros when i talk to you it's like hello hey this is such and such boom we're in and a lot of it is i don't like to read a bunch of texts I sound like I'm reading. Do you read? Do you have a teleprompter? How do you get through so much material? It's different in every episode. Um, there's some episodes where I have to be really, really careful with my words. And so they're almost scripted. But if you actually were to read what I have on my computer and what ends up coming out of my mouth, I'll start going off on these rants. And so, and you can, I can hear it. I don't know if the listeners can hear it, but I can tell when I go from like, these are the words I planned to these are the words I did not plan. 
Um, and then there's other episodes where I don't have to be as careful. So I'll just have an outline making sure that the yeah. numbers are correct and the facts are correct, but I can fill in the blanks on my own. So it just depends on what topic I'm covering and how many sound clips I have too. Cause there's certain episodes where really all I'm doing is giving the background that you need to understand the conversations that you're hearing in Congress. And those are much easier for me. Um, so yeah, it just depends. Every episode is different. And so the process is ever evolving. And now we're switching between Congresses where the last one, the 115th, the Republicans had control of everything. And so they were passing laws like crazy. And so I've had to read a lot and it was very legislation heavy. We're going into the 116th Congress though, where the Democrats control half of it and legislation's going to come to a grinding halt. And so one of the decisions I'm making now is how do I change for this new Congress knowing that what I was doing in the last one isn't going to work. So yeah, it has to change every two weeks. I do something different. What's cool. And I, I actually kind of like split governments personally. Mm -hmm. I love it when they fight all the time because if they're always fighting, they're never doing anything and life's probably going to be better for me. Depends. But yeah, I mean, the amount of legislation that was passed into law between the midterms elect the midterm election and the end of the Congress is unbelievable. I mean, there was like over, I know there was over 101 substantive laws, like not naming post offices, but actually right. did something that became law between the time that we fired a bunch of these people and by the time they actually left office. And so it's just stuff like that where it's, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, I don't even know where I was going with that. I just got all mad again and my brain turned off. <laughs> Well, I mean, that that kind of is what's going to happen. I mean, not to be too jaded, but if you're lame duck, you're going to do it. It's kind of like last minute pardons are what presidents do. Exactly. Hey, we're going to office, do pardons. But, I mean, get used to it. But I, if I we had know. divided government, like you said, passing 101 laws between the election and the end of the Congress, which is only six weeks, it wouldn't Very happen. Difficult. You know, they, they were just it just wouldn't happen. There was so much done in the last Congress. And um and yeah, I think it's almost dangerous because they had the freedom to put all kinds of things into law without committee hearings, without like they just sure. had the power to get stuff through without the due diligence that you would hope there would be in making our laws. So at least for the next two years, anything that passes at least has to have some kind of some kind of consensus between the two parties and will at least be more carefully read. Which is great. I mean, that that's why I was saying I like split because. If it's something that people really want done, both sides are going to have to move on it. Yeah, I'm not sure about that, but that's the problem. <laughs> okay. Well, what I'm just witnessing is it's not really about what we want. It's about what the donors want. So it's more sure. like if it's something that the, well, quite frankly, the rich people are pushing for, then that's true. But there are things like, I think healthcare is such a perfect example. There's very few of us that are begging for our insurance company to have control over which hospital we go to in an ambulance, but that's where we're at. But the insurance companies have more power than we do. So their ability to deny our claims because the ambulance driver took us to an out of network hospital, that works out great for them, but it doesn't right. work out great for us. So it's like, this is something that Congress hears about all the time, but they're not fixing because they get money from insurance companies and those executives and not us. So that's mm -hmm. been the most shocking thing through my experience of watching Congress is just seeing how little power we have right now because of the money in Congress dynamic. And that's bipartisan, by the way. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. One thing I've noticed, um, like I've, I'm a runner 
and I believe you are too now. And runners get injured. So welcome to our world. Hopefully you don't get a lot of injuries, but we tend to. <laughs> As such, like I'll have to see a chiropractor because of foot problems, different things like that. I know chiropractor foot doesn't make sense, but it actually does. It does. He's a yeah. sports chiropractor. Yeah. What's very interesting though, is if I go in there and I apply it to my insurance because I'm still a corporate drone, the bill is about $110 on a visit for that 15 minutes or whatever it is. If I pay out of pocket, it's 35 or 40 bucks. Yeah. So a lot of the problems are flat out the insurance overhead. Mm -hmm. If you look at all the different medical fields, the ones that are thriving the most are the ones who you can't get coverage from insurance, like LASIK surgery. Yeah. You can't get that through insurance and the prices have dropped like a rock and it's one of the most competitive things out there. It's also elective though. That's where we get into trouble. So True. Yeah. It's just my whole point of saying that is that it's a very messy system. And this particular system, you know, the, the Democrats were the one that in, that got the Affordable Care Act into law. And it's an insurance-based system. So you have the Republicans that want the insurance companies to be able to do whatever they want, write all the rules. Mm-hmm. The Democrats said, okay, we're going to leave the system insurance-based, but we're going to put in place some rules. And that's the discussion happening in Congress where there's a lot of us in this country going, I just want health care like you can get in other countries that doesn't risk bankruptcy. And that's just not even on the table. And although it's getting closer to that now with the new right. Democrats, but it's just it's a good example of insurance companies have more power than than people at this moment. I I think it's not only them, but I would argue pharmaceuticals Absolutely. Yes. and lawyers. Um, if you turn on daytime television, I think it was Adam Carolla joking about this, but there's some truth to it. Back in the 70s, I'm aging myself, but if I was home from school and sick, all of the commercials on television were about how you could go to this trade school or that trade school or get a job, essentially, so you could not be at home watching TV, you could be out working or doing something. And now if you look at TV, it is pretty much a pharmaceutical company trying to sell you something to help you with your depression, even though it may cause suicide, or the lawyer who's asking if you took the medication that the pharmaceutical company is trying to sell you so you could sue them. And I feel maybe I'm wrong that Congress is being run by these same people who essentially are buying television, the networks and everything else. Yes, absolutely. I mean, these are just two industries out of many. I think the the bankers probably have the most power from what I've witnessed. Bankers, pharmaceuticals, fossil fuels. Like it's one of the most shocking things to me when I started doing this six years ago was the power that fossil fuels had in this Congress. Um, in that Congress in particular, but it continues to this day. So, yeah, it's in, but it, there's so many industries. It's industry in general because it's the people at the top of those industries that have the money to fund the campaigns that run in the same social circles as the millionaires that have the ability to get into Congress. Because if you're going to run for Congress, it's going to take at least a year and it's a full time mm. job. So, you have to have a certain amount of wealth to even to be able to afford to run for Congress. So it's it's filled of wealthy people. They all end up moving to D.C. where they hang out together. Like there's just I don't even think it's happening on purpose. I think there's a lot of good people in Congress that don't even realize the corruption that happens because they think this is just the way it's done. Like you're supposed to call your donors and you're supposed to kind of help them when you get in office. They think it's normal. It is normal. 
And it kind of is what they're supposed to do. I mean, from what I understand, when they get there, they're kind of hit with the message of, okay, you want to be on this committee. You need to talk to this person, this person, this person, these four lobbyists or, you know, whatever. There's there's definitely some in-house, shall we say, traditions that aren't necessarily written down, but they are, we'll call them the rules, so to speak, or guidelines. They're gross. And it's funny, this new girl that everyone's talking about, Alexandra. Ocasio. Yeah, Cortez. Um, she's telling us this stuff. So she went to the freshman orientation and she was shocked that it was lobbyists that were telling them what they were supposed to do. And she's like, what is this? So we're finally getting to look behind the curtain now that there's a couple normal people that have weaseled their way into Congress. So that's another thing I'm really excited about for the next few years is like, she's a bartender. (laughs) You know, I am a waitress. So it's, she's, she's me. And so to see someone like her get into Congress and be able to tell us like, oh no, this is how they think this should be run. It's really fascinating to me. And another thing that I've discovered since doing this podcast is our representatives are not sitting in the House of Representatives in the Senate watching debates and having debates. Instead, they're across the street where there's phone banks, where they're calling donors for hours and hours mm-hmm. every day. So they're not reading the bills. They have their staffers read them sometimes, but I've seen too much become law that no one knows about. So I don't know how much the bills are actually being read, but they're not debating. They're not legislating most of the time. Most of the time they're trying to get reelected and it starts on day one of every Congress. So it's mm-hmm. that's the rot in in our Congress. And um, if we can fix that, I think all of the other issues can be addressed. Because whether you're talking healthcare or fossil fuels or bankers or whatever it is that's important to you, as long as our system is run by people that think that their job is to collect money, as much money as they can during those two years, we're going to be in trouble. That's the number one thing we have to fix. And at least we have that clarity now. And I don't think that this is something that is going to be shocking to anyone who hears this. We're all kind of feeling it now. We all kind of get it. And um, that gives me tons of hope too. See, I guess I'm sort of cynical on a lot of it because I view congressmen as lawyers in the sense of everybody hates Congress but they keep voting in their local congressman. Mm-hmm. And we own that. We need to step up and say, okay, let's worry about our local bum who's bringing home the pork. And let's get a little less greedy and get them out. But we, we have these little blinders on. Oh, Congress is awful. How many congressmen are running term after term after term that they're going to go fight those guys in Congress and clean it up? When they're just coming right back out of Congress, they're one of those guys in Congress. And I think one of the reasons that that happens is that we don't know what actually goes on after they get elected. Our news has been replaced by politics. You and I were kind of talking about this off air. But if you were to turn on cable news right now, they're talking about who's running for president. And for the next two years, they're going to be talking about who's running for president, who they think is winning, who they think is electable. That's politics. That's guessing. That's predicting the future. What we need is, okay, the election is over. And for these next two years, this is the law that was passed today. This is how my local congressman voted. This is the bill that my local congressman wrote. We're not getting that information. We're not getting news anymore. We're getting predictions. And that's another thing that we need to fix. So it's like, yeah, when people look at their congressman, it's like, I know who this person is. They Mm -hmm. have the most ads on TV. I'm going to vote for them again. Or I've met them once or they've been there forever. Like it's it's name recognition more than anything. People are just not aware 
So we have some problems to fix for sure, but the awareness that I'm witnessing over the last two years, you know, it's one of the silver linings of this weird time we're living in with the Trump administration is people are watching now and they're watching Congress. We just had the government shut down for 35 days. So my brother in the Coast Guard, who's never watched Congress, has been calling me daily while watching C-SPAN <laughs> 2 and being like, is it like this every day? And I'm like, yes, every single day. But now you're aware of it. And so now he knows the name of our senators and he knows what they look like. And it's like, this was not the case a few years ago. So um, it's going to take a long time to fix these things. But I think the number one thing we had to do was identify the problems and we're getting there. True. And I guess that is a hidden lining about the press hating Trump so much. Because uh, truthfully, I'm sorry, Obama's no great shakes. No. no. He said all the pretty words. Yeah. But when you look at the actual deeds, they didn't match. He started more wars than Do George W. Bush. Sure. <laughs> you know, like it's that alone. It's like these people that, oh, I miss the Obama family. And it's like, well, you're perfect proof that you weren't paying attention during those years. Yeah. But people are paying and, attention now, you know? Yeah, Qaddafi is a great example because Qaddafi yeah. was working as an informant for us. He actually had been flipped toward the end. Yeah, I don't know about that, but... Um... He wasn't a nice guy, but I mean, we gotten used to him for a while. Yeah. Well, he was also <laughs> like, he wasn't going along with the multinational corporations coming in and taking over Africa. And he was the head of the African Union for a while. He was talking about getting off the dollar and switching to an African currency. Like he was just, he was a troublemaker for the companies that are pulling the strings on our government. And um, yeah, but Obama and Hillary Clinton... And we know this, that she was a big part of it. But the two of them, they decided to overthrow another country. And because it was Obama, who was, we like him, there was a lot of people that said nothing about it. So. It's funny you bring up um, Africa. Um, I don't want to say third world countries. It just sounds terrible. But I think I've heard you discuss before, and I don't know if you use the term, but you have a real concern with the essentially economic hitmen. Yes. Do you want to go into that at all? Sure. Um, so when I started this, I didn't know anything about what was going on in the world. But what really got me curious about our place in the world was that I was living in Germany when we started the Iraq war. So that was kind of the spark of like, why would we do this? Why would we overthrow another country? Why have we tried to do this with this country twice? And every question led to, or every answer led to more questions. And over the course of the, what is this now, 15, 16 years I've been paying attention in the six years I've been doing Congressional Dish, I've realized that the big picture foreign policy thing that we are doing is we are expanding what I call the world trade system. This was put into place after World War II with the idea, which is a good intentioned idea, that countries that trade together don't generally go to war together. So the idea behind this was to get every single country in the entire world to be economically connected, and therefore there will be no war. Is and this the Bilderberg stuff? No, it's not Bilderberg. It's actually, um, they created the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, oh, okay. and then they wanted the World Trade Organization back in the 1940s, but they didn't get it until the 1990s. But those are the three main institutions of the world trade system. And it's the system that they're putting in place is one that allows multinationals to go into other countries, 
use the labor in those countries for as cheaply as possible. I mean, the system is designed to grow the economy. It's all about growth, right? And so what I'm witnessing is that we are the muscle for this system and where this system is supposed to be global. And they say it all the time. It's supposed to be global. So the countries that are challenging this system become our enemies. And right now, China and Russia are the two main challengers. So when I'm looking at like Africa, for instance, China has gone in there, they're building roads, they're, Mm -hmm. you know, they're creating relationships there. And so we're going in at the same exact time. But so much of what we're doing is trying to make it so that the multinationals are the ones that are controlling these, the economics of these other countries and benefiting from that instead of the economic systems that are labeled communist, dun, 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 that decide to use taxes to provide for the people. You know, there's different ways to structure society, but we are pushing for one that allows the market to basically do whatever it wants, that allows these companies to do whatever they want. And um, I don't think it's working out well for us. <laughs> I think there's people all over the world that are seeing that this is an exploitative um, economic model, an economic model based on endless g- growth, which as we are now seeing on a, f- a planet, you know, we all share this one rock, as Joe Rogan sure. says, that's flying through space, and we're now pushing it to the brink. So until we find a, an economic model that's based on sustainability, like you can't have one that if, you know, it, it amazes me that we have these companies that are worth or that make like billions of dollars, but unless they make that amount and more the next year, they're considered failures the right. next year. And so we're just pushing everything too hard. And this is the economic model that we're enforcing upon the world. And and unfortunately, the people that don't want it, they're fighting back. And therefore, we have to go to war to make it happen. And so that's kind of like my dumb Sunday morning way of explaining just kind <laughs> of the the fuzzy big picture that I'm witnessing happening right now. But most of the things we do, it's all in favor of this economic model and this world trade system that we don't have representatives in this system. That's not a democratic system. Like when have you on your ballot seen the president of World Bank listed on True. your ballot? Like or the International Monetary Fund or the World Trade Organization? Like it's picked by the elites, run for the elites. And yet they say it's all for democracy. Like until that system is democratic, I don't want to be in service of it. And I certainly don't want my friends having to go and die to get it into Iraq and Syria and Libya and now Venezuela. Like that's a lot of our people are signing up for the military, not realizing that that's what we fight for. And um, and yeah, that's I wasn't looking for this when I started the podcast. It's just it's impossible to not see once you start walking, watching as much as I do. What's amusing, or I guess, I don't know if it's amusing or not. I'm, that's probably a poor term. If you look at it, the most, quote, paranoid people, et cetera, all believe this. And they're fighting each other. A good example is, I personally think Alex Jones is a little off his rocker. <laughs> But believe it or not, everything you said, Alex, could have come from Alex Jones. And this is why when you asked me if I wanted to go into this, I'm like, because uh, <laughs> I don't want to be pre- like compared to Alex Jones, which is when I talk. I'm about not this, comparing. You. I'm I just know saying it's You're, a, you just hit my like anxiety button. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's a case that people don't realize it. And, and it frustrates me, too. Um, one, I have to qualify and say, look, I didn't vote for Donald Trump. I voted for Gary Johnson. 
Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have to say that, but I'm in a society now where you have to immediately qualify that, oh, I'm allowed to talk because I did this or I didn't do that. That's irritating. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people who are very much in favor of Bernie, because a lot of what you said could also have come from Bernie, mm-hmm. actually voted for Trump. Yeah. Because Trump, a lot of what he was running on was anti-corporate, anti-World um, Bank, uh, ironically, how do you feel about him pulling us out of Syria and Afghanistan? It's one of the few things I'm happy about. We were never allowed to be in Syria to begin with. Like this was one of the things that happened after I started Congressional Dish. So I have watched the Syria situation very closely. There has never been an authorization from Congress for us to have troops on the ground there ever. So the idea that the next president would come in and say, oh, no, we need to get our troops out of there. It's one of the few good things that he did. And one of the scariest things that I've seen is the reaction from the so-called resistance getting mad that we're pulling out of Syria. It's like their principles have gone completely out the door because if Trump does it, it's bad. Like, that's one of the few things where I'm like, okay, good. Because he did talk about, like, why are we in all these countries? And I don't know if it's because he doesn't understand that we're the servants of the world trade system or if he's truly against it. Like, I don't know what that is. But he did oh. run at least on this idea that we shouldn't be overthrowing other countries. And a lot of people liked that message, whether he he's meant to He's an isolationist, not. essentially. It kind of uh, the Pat Buchanan um, mindset. A little bit. He's like, all this fits in. Tariffs fit in. Yeah. Get out of the other country. All these things. If you look at it, he throws so much noise out there. There's very few things that he really believes in. But tariffs are one because they just keep coming up, coming up, coming up. And he's pretty much anti-war. I think he's been pretty um, consistent on that. Yeah. He just declared some other dude the president of Venezuela. So we'll see what happens there. Um, I'm really concerned about that situation because here's I don't think he's very bright. I really don't. I think he's easily manipulated. So when it comes to Syria, he wasn't the president when he formed those opinions. But Mm -hmm. now he's got people like John Bolton, who is one of the scariest warmongers ever in his National Security Council, in his ear. Um, I am concerned that he's going to turn into a warmonger, whether he's trying to or not. I mean, that's one of the scary things about having such a wild card in there. But, yeah, I don't think that anything he's doing is particularly on purpose. I think he's making decisions on the fly. So I don't I don't know. But when you say that people voted, like, there were people that wouldn't vote for Hillary. So, like, Bernie supporters, sure. for instance. That was a real phenomenon where people that war was their number one issue when I can't vote for Hillary Clinton. I was one of them. I cannot vote for her. She has supported every war that I'm against. She voted for the Patriot Act and the reauthorization. So it's just stuff like that where it's like, this is not someone I could ever support. How do I deal with this? Like, I'm not going to vote for Trump. I ended up voting for Jill Stein. I just felt completely unrepresented so whatever um, in california who cares but, i'm sorry but your vote actually did not count no it didn't matter like yeah but i still the, being from california the wrath of the hillary voters that i had to deal with in 2017 was one of the most unpleasant experiences of my entire life it was in my social life it was in my inbox it was horrible <laughs> um because they were like you convinced people not to vote for her and i'm like i just told you how i felt um but there were people that were like if war is your number one issue you can't vote for her. And Trump was saying he was anti-war. Now, is he a liar? Yes. But there were people that made that decision, and I'm not going to get mad at them for that. You know, we all felt like we had bad choices, and 
And yeah, that's that's like the only good thing I've seen <laughs> coming out of the Trump administration is maybe we'll pull out of a few. Speaking of people who are in trouble, um, one of the names that comes up all the time and it, it just sort of cracks me up because it's almost like catnip for, uh, I'll say leftists, Dave Rubin. Mm. He will, there is more hatred ginned up when his name comes up in different groups and things like that. Do you have any thoughts on him or? No, I don't get into the business of like trashing other people. I think he's saying what he believes to be true and I'm doing the same thing. I mean, I get attacks from the internet too, or people hear something I say and it might be out of context or they don't understand me. Like, I don't know. I've never met him. I don't know what his deal is. <laughs> okay. Yeah, sorry. Um, no, that's fine. Now, one thing I wanted to go into, we were talking beforehand. I think you'd listen to my Cheryl Atkinson episode. I feel like we are being manipulated mm-hmm. um, by fake news. The term is an ironic thing. However you feel about Trump, either way, he managed to kind of flip that on its head and took the term away from it was being used to attack him and then he grabbed it. But what are your thoughts on that? I don't think that we have a problem with necessarily fake news because when I hear that stupid phrase, I think it's lies. I think what we have a bigger problem with is consolidation of news so that when you turn on any channel, you're getting the same story, but just with different spin. And I can tell you, I I don't know what to do about the fact that I have over a hundred laws to look at from the end of the 115th Congress. There is more information that we need than could ever be covered by every journalist in the world if they all picked a separate story. And yet, you know, there's there's a Native American man and a guy with a and a teenager with a Make America Great hat that stare at each other for a while, and it's nonstop coverage for five days. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like. I don't know what exactly is making that happen, but we are missing out on a lot of very real news because of this bubble that's happening in the national media. And I think another problem we have is that opinion and predictions have taken over news. I think a lot of us are, and myself included, so I started the podcast because I couldn't find the information that I was looking for. I want to know what is happening today? I want to know about the past. I want to know what's in the laws. How's it going to affect me? Like, I want to know actual news. I'm craving it. And I still don't know necessarily where I can find it. And so I think that's a bigger problem than, you know, the National Enquirer telling you that Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt are back together again. Like, that's fake news. I don't care about that. I can, I can, look at my sources. I can tell you it's right or wrong. I don't see a lot of straight up lies in the Washington Post or the New York Times. So what I do see is a lot of crossover. And I see also media being now owned by the same companies that are benefiting from the world trade system. So like Huffington Post just laid off a bunch of journalists. They're now owned by Verizon. And back in the Iraq war years, NBC and therefore MSNBC, CNBC, all of them were owned by GE, a defense contractor. So, of course, they're not going to tell you everything you need to know about the wars. Uh, Disney owns a significant portion of our media. So it's like you have these giant companies that are multinational. They're not American. Um, You have these giant companies. And when your paycheck is cut by that company, 
and you can get fired by that company, are you really going to be the person who's going to go and tell the world that this company is doing something wrong? Probably not. Or in the case of a defense contractor, are you really going to go out there and say that this war isn't a good idea, even though this war is in a way paying your paycheck? So there's just this service to advertisers, this service to the corporate overlords that is doing us a giant disservice because there are things we are not being told. It's not that we're being told too much garbage. It's that we're just not being told things we need to hear at all. Okay. And in a sense that could be seen as lying. I mean, I'm sorry to say, but it's, you know, like the truth, the whole truth. If you curate the knowledge to such a degree, you're hiding things too. See, I feel like that's, there's a big difference. I feel like a lie is an overt action where a lie is, I'm going to tell you something I know is not true. There is no way in any way that you tell a story to get in every single bit of information, you know, and I get accused of it all the time, like where people will listen and be like, well, you didn't say this thing. And I'm like, well, you can go ahead and get mad at what I did say all day long, but I only Mm -hmm. have a certain amount of time here. I know that there's 5,000 different ways that I can cover this, but this is the stuff that got my attention. This is the information that I feel is not getting out there this is what I decided to focus on. But to say that leaving any piece of information out of a story, it's an impossible standard to set. So I don't think they're the same thing at all. If it's deliberate, then it's a lie. That's what I'm saying. Now, obviously, you can't cover everything. And I do believe in Hanlon's razor. I don't know if you're familiar with the term. No. Um, Essentially, never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained by stupidity. And that, I think, is a, a good thing to hold in mind. You don't necessarily assume that somebody's trying to do something evil or wrong or whatever they could be just misinformed or it's a mistake but i do think there is specific manipulation that is happening and again some of it is not necessarily even intentional if you get a room full of people who all think the same thing they will tend to parrot each other Mm -hmm. and they can get another message out now i'm going to pivot a little but it's sort of all related um i had brought up an author ryan holiday um, before we start talking And he wrote a book called Trust Me, I'm Lying. And the thesis of his book, he was the um, chief marketing officer for American Apparel. And he talked about essentially guerrilla marketing tactics and how he could get stories by feeding the blogosphere. And they'd bubble up. Mm -hmm. And some of the things that are coming out, if you will, the lies or the poor stories, they are being bubbled up from below and the methodology is people will know who this particular journalist does read or this organization reads or things like that now you brought up the story of the kids and the um, native american indian whatever the drum and the hat and how that was a big story what's interesting is do you know the story behind the story is that a question for yes Yes, I I'm mean, sorry. yeah, I mean, it was all over my Twitter feed. I, I watched the full videos. I saw that there were three different groups there. And yeah. What, what's interesting is why was that even a story? I mean, exactly. that, this stuff happens in D.C. every day during protests. Sure. It was weird. It was fed by a Twitter account out of Brazil that managed to get it into the right blog. They got it up and up and up. So that to me is actually almost more interesting in some ways than the stories like who cares about that story, but why did that become a story? But there were so many different decisions made by different people to instead of, it's lazy. 
It's yes. lazy. If you yes. have to do something on a weekend, because that happened on a weekend, you need a story, you have to fill your time. Is it easier to read one of the hundred bills that just passed at the end of the uh, just became law at the end of the 115th Congress? Or is it easier to talk about what they're talking about on the other station, which is this video where you can play the video and have a chit chat about it? It's not news, but they're not trying to do news. They're trying to please the advertisers. They're trying to keep eyeballs on the television. So they drum up this controversy. People get all upset. They tune into Fox to see their take. They turn into MSNBC to, to get their take and they think they're being informed. And that's what gets me so mad is it's lazy, but it's also, it's clickbait journalism. It's just trying to keep people's attention so that in between the, the, the fury, they sit there and they watch the advertisements. That's the only thing they're trying to do. So it's like the fact that it came out of Brazil, I don't know, fine. But what you're finding is that the journalists that ran with the story higher up, the people that are getting paid millions of dollars, I get angry at them. Where it's like there is more than enough news out there. You don't have to keep spreading this. Like let it, let it stay in the blogosphere. And for the people that are into that, I think it, they should have access to it. So having Facebook combat fake news is not the answer. I definitely don't want Mark Zuckerberg telling me what I can and cannot see. But we need to have people that are real journalists on the television. And I don't know how we do that as long as this corporate structure is at the top and advertising is the goal. I just, I don't know what we do about that. But I don't, again, I don't get mad at the people in the blogosphere that are covering a story because who cares? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody's got to make a buck. No. Um, but on I'm that note not watching what they're doing because it's not of value to me. I'm looking for real news. I know it's not there. So there's also, there's a media savvy that comes from being a millennial where it's like, I can tell the difference. My grandparents can't. So there's also that, like I'm used to, cause my entire life I've had the entire internet where you go like, oh, well, Breitbart has one slant on things. Um, mm -hmm. Let me look over here. Or if I really want the answer, I know the place in the government where I can get the document, read it for myself. Like you have to have a knowledge of sources that younger people have. So I think the people that are also being manipulated by crap on the internet are the people that are, you know, they thought truth was truth. <laughs> you know, they had N NBC, CBS, ABC. That was it for a really long time. And, um, and yeah, it was just a different era. And so I just find that the people on my own Facebook that are the most upset about the news that you just know, like, isn't true. They're all over the age of 50, all of them. And actually I'll push that to 60. I'll push that to 60 now. But yeah, it's the baby boomers. The baby boomers eat it all in. And all of the baby boomers in my life, they have the TV on all the time. Like most of my friends, we've cut the cord. We don't even have cable. But my parents, like you, they walk inside, they turn on the TV. They're not even watching it, but it's on all the time. So I think there's a generational shift here. And what I'm the most concerned about are we have baby boomers all over this Congress that, that, that think that the solution is to censor the internet. It's not mm. to let the information speak for itself. It's we want Twitter to shut these people down. We want Facebook to shut these people down, which are it's happening. We had, guess what? They're doing it themselves, though. The, the companies themselves are choosing what message they want out, they which is are. a little frightening, too. Yeah. And what's scary to me is that our lawmakers are not saying, hey, you have this power. Don't abuse it. It's our lawmakers pushing them 
to shut down certain accounts. Like it is the opposite of what you would hope our lawmakers would do. But they don't want to do the censoring themselves because then that's government censorship. And so if they can get their friends, the executives at Facebook, literally their friends, Mm-hmm. to shut down irritating people like Alex Jones, but also like there's an account called the anti-media. I've been following them for years. And what I like that they do is that they write very detailed, um, I guess you can call them a blog, but they write very detailed information about our wars, but they link mm-hmm. to documents, they link to videos. And so that's how I have found them the most useful. They were purged in the Facebook purge and their Twitter account was taken out. I didn't even know. And that's not Alex News. They're linking to stuff that I have found incredibly valuable, and they're sure. all primary sources. But they were a pain in the ass of anyone who wants a war, and Facebook t- took them down. So that's what I'm witnessing as a Congress watcher, where I'm like, mm-hmm. we need some people in there that are going to protect the internet, that understand the internet. And we have very few of them right now. Although I do have, like I said, some hope with some of the younger people that just got elected. But what I saw in the last Congress was extremely disturbing. As someone who makes my living on the internet, you know, <laughs> well, I'm very careful that I own all my stuff. I own my website. Like I don't have a big Facebook following because I don't care. I think they're going to end up purging. I don't know if they're going to purge me, but if they do, I haven't they made might. them so central to my business that it'll kill me. But um, yeah, it scares the hell out of me, man. Kind of. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the old po- poem or, or I guess it's a poem. First they came. Yeah. That's yeah. really what I see happening. And first they came for tra- Alex, Jones. Alex Jones. Yeah. And then they came for Gavin McGinnis. Then they came for, and it's beyond problematic. And I, I find it disturbing because a lot of people are like, oh, good, I can't stand Alex Jones. He's, mm-hmm. he is such an easy target. And again, I'm not a fan of the guy. Why am I qualifying myself? You see, you kind of have to qualify yourself, say the right thing. But I worry that companies like Facebook and Twitter are able to do this on their own. And by the way, we'll throw in Apple, we'll throw in YouTube, mm-hmm. which is Google, an alphabet. If they're going to pretend that they're a utility, like a phone line, like if I'm making a phone call and I say stupid things, my phone carrier is not responsible for what I say because they're just a utility. Mm-hmm. So Facebook and Twitter and stuff, I feel like they're trying to have it both ways where they have people who are threatening others and stuff, but they don't really disagree with them because they're on the, the correct side in their mind. So they don't control them. But then other people, they censor. Well, to me, if you censor one and not the other, then you own all of it. Yeah. The only difference is I think when it comes to Google, there's an argument that they could be a utility. That's the only one. But we also have the option to not use Facebook. And the younger generation sure. is exercising that option. Um, unfortunately they're moving over to Instagram and thinking that they're doing something different, not realizing <laughs> that Facebook bought Instagram. So that's, I had to educate my little cousin about that, but, but yeah, I mean, new social media, Facebook doesn't have to be the center of our connections. The only reason I haven't cut the cord is like I said, I keep in touch with baby boomers and they make it really easy to throw parties. <laughs> you know, I like their event page. Everyone is on Facebook because everyone is on Facebook. We have the option to create a different thing, and I hope we do. Same with Twitter. Um, My bigger concern is Congress because they make actual laws. And so watching them on both sides of the aisle, but especially creepy lately has been the Democrats. Since Hillary lost, they're using this Russia stuff that Russia spent $100,000. That's an actual number, $100,000 on Facebook. And now that's why they lost the election. Like, oh, shut up. But that, <laughs> but that is what they're using as the excuse 
to push for corporate censorship and the fake news thing. Every time I hear them say fake news on C-SPAN, I get very concerned because it's the excuse for censorship. And so that's my my concern is not the fake news itself. It's how it's being used by the people with real power. Well, that's that's what bothers me is um, right now there's uh, three stages and we'll just use a YouTube example of how they're targeting unpopular people. Mm-hmm. First, they um, use parental controls. Yeah. So even though somebody doesn't swear, they don't do anything, they're actually talking about a piece of history. Oh, sorry, we got to restrict that so the kids don't see it. It's like, why? Mm-hmm. They, they didn't swear. They didn't, you know, meet any guideline. This is just very public information. Then when that's not working or they're still popular, they start demonetizing. Well, I'm sorry, you can't make money off that video. Now, most people who are doing this, like, I know you're a believer in your show, but if you didn't get a check, you'd probably have to start doing something else. Yeah, but this is also why I'm not counting on Google for my paycheck. Uh, exactly. You know? I, I, and I totally support that, but I'm just saying that this is an example of controlling the message and how they're trying oh, to. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people that didn't learn the lesson before are learning it now because of the demonetization and how unfair it's proving to be on um on youtube and and all those platforms because for your listeners that don't know i fund my show with 100 percent listener contributions and so no one person can pull the rug out from under my show or one company um which is more relevant to what we're talking about but i think that is going to be the next way forward in journalism because in the last few days we've had more than a thousand journalists be fired and this was weird too they were all fired on the same day so it's like BuzzFeed and HuffPost. Like, it's all Verizon. Yeah, it was so weird. It wasn't all Verizon. It was um, Gamut, which is they own a lot of small publications all over the country. Like it's really, hmm. really bad for local news what just happened. And so the conversation has been, how do we fund journalism? Because now we have all these out-of-work journalists that don't know what to do. They don't have a company to get under the umbrella. And I think we as a society are going to have to start funding the people that we trust individually dollar here dollar there that's it's working for me i can tell you that much i'm not living large and i don't have the ability to hire all the help i need right but no one's able to fire me you know and they have tried (laughs) but their one contribution isn't enough to take me down and i think this might be the solution to that problem but we have a big problem right now with journalism and um yeah, I think this might be the way. With the internet, we have the the means to support people individually. It's just, are we as a society going to do it or not? I'm not sure. And by the way, uh, Patreon has been a hot topic lately. Yeah, I know. For, again, a company making decisions on what can go on or not go on and not really being clear with what the standards are. I think yeah. most objectively minded people could say that maybe they haven't been clear with their message. Absolutely. And I have a Patreon account. I haven't pulled it because I just haven't. Um, I feel like if, and this has been happening, I have people that are upset about Patreon pulling that guy's account. I don't even know his name. It was something like Sargon of Akkad. Here we go. Yeah. It sounds like a sorcerer. I'm like, who is this sorcerer? (laughs) Carl Um, Benjamin is his actual name. (laughs) Um, Wait, it was who? Sargon of Akkad is a um, British individual named Carl Benjamin. Carl Benjamin. Okay. Um, but yes, there are people who are supporting me that pulled their funding from my mm. show because they didn't want to be on Patreon and they just switched it. They switched to paper checks. Fine. I think that's how it's going to have to be, you know? Um, 
But yeah, I'm concerned about that too, because that's a significant portion of my income that could disappear if the heads of Patreon decided to make that happen. So yeah, that's a problem. Any platform that we decide to use, you're putting someone else between the journalist and their money. And that is a real concern, even for me. On the Patreon story, are you familiar with Subscribestar and what happened with that? No. Uh, because of Patreon, a competitor came up called Subscribestar. Was this a thing and that it, Sam Harris and all of them were making? or No, they're doing something else altogether. But okay. a lot of people jumped to it, like Sargon of Cod or whatever. And then PayPal pulled the funding from Subscribestar. And there is actually somebody that's looking into a class action lawsuit now that... Uh, with collusion between PayPal and Patreon yeah. and pulling the other. So I, I find all this very scary. And you as someone who supports it, but they're also reporting on it. Um, I just wanted to get your. I feel like I'm stuck, you know, like, cause I need to give people convenient ways to contribute to my show. Sure. So what I've decided to do is I'm going to make it possible for people to donate to me in any way they want to, but not put all my eggs in one basket. Because Patreon would love for me to put all my eggs in their basket. Oh, sure. I've met the people at Patreon. They want me to do this. I'm not doing it. So I have Patreon, PayPal, Zelle, Cash App. Um, paper checks are probably the best because that <laughs> middleman, it's, it's the bank, but they don't really give a crap unless I'm under sanctions, which <laughs> as of now, I'm not. Um, they're not going to get in between that. Um, but unless it's a person physically walking up to me and giving me cold, hard cash, there has to be a middleman. And so I'm just allowing all the middlemen. I don't know. I don't know what we do about that, especially where my listeners are all over the world. And True. so for me to shoot myself in the foot by pulling my Patreon over in a, a story that I really don't know that much about. And honestly, I don't even want to get into because YouTube's censoring people am i going to stop using google like i don't know how to be the person that fights for all these other people i didn't sure. go off facebook or twitter when they pulled alex jones like I, yeah i just i don't know how to do the right thing sometimes um so i think right now just funding my show by letting my listeners decide what to support is the best way to go about it i don't know well there's a certain realism too i mean you are running a show you need people to find your show you need people to share it out so you kind of need to be on the different platforms that allow sharing to occur. Yeah. And as far as my experience with Patreon, they've been lovely to me. So right. I don't know. I, I, I also, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to get into <laughs> what the sorcerer said. Cause I really don't know what he said. I heard the a rumor, sorcerer. but like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just can't go shutting down. Cause like, here's the thing too. Um, Wells Fargo has done some pretty bad stuff. Do I not accept checks from people who bank with Wells Fargo? Like, where's the line? You know, where's the line? That's a good point. And I have a let's bring it back to uh, Congress, government, things like that. Is there a room where people really need to be more of a pragmatist? Like, should we back off slightly on the purity tests? No. Like, no. Really? We have way too many people who are, well, you know, that's the problem with the labels is that we're getting mad at the centrists or whatever in the Democratic mm -hmm. Party, for instance. Um, but that's actually code for corporate Democrats. So 
Yeah, I just don't think that the labels are helping us right now with that. I think that when it comes to every issue, there are certain ones that don't have much wiggle wiggle room. So it's like for me, healthcare, I keep bringing it up, but it's unimaginably unfair to me to have the idea that I can go outside, get hit by a car, and while unconscious, I have to somehow tell that ambulance driver to go to a different hospital than the one that's closest because this one doesn't take my insurance. That's a big old like no red there. There's no wiggle room here. That is straight wrong. And so I think we have to start looking at what people do issue to issue instead of just labeling them this one thing and being like, well, you need to be exactly like Bernie Sanders. You have to be exactly like Rand Paul because there you go. Every person, depending on the issue, is either good or bad. That's my issue with the purity tests like. Um, I sometimes talk with libertarians. The most pure libertarians get into fits about driver's licenses, for Christ's sakes. <laughs> I'm really okay that we have a driver's license. Now, I'm not big on the government being in all my business, sure. But I don't mind that somebody had to go take a test, go drive a car, and they're going to drive on my road that we're sharing. So Drive you know, a thing that, that could of- kill me, by the way. Right. So we're kind of getting into each other's rights. Now, I feel like purity tests are causing problems in the sense that, for example, somebody could be legitimately a Democrat and love guns. Yeah. But does that mean that they're wrong on everything else? There there are a lot of people say, oh, no, you can't hang with us anymore. Yeah. Because you don't check every box. And I think that's ludicrous. That's more of a loyalty to party thing that I think we have to get rid of in general. So, yeah. So on that, I agree with you. Um, there's, you know, are you a, a perfect Democrat, a perfect Republican, a perfect liberal, a perfect libertarian, a perfect con- conservative? We spend so much time trying to fit people into boxes that we just don't talk about policies at all. And it makes me completely insane to the point that on my show, I try not to use any of those words unless I absolutely have to. I'll use Democrat and Republican because sometimes it matters you know like if I, if there's a bill and every democrat voted for it that's worth noting because that's a party <laughs> unity thing but for the most part i don't think we even need the labels and they're not doing us any favors and so when you talk about a purity test that like oh bernie sanders doesn't fit perfectly into the democratic box good <laughs> you know like that's what i like about him i like that rand paul doesn't fit perfectly into the republican box and so i think having these requirements that's only something that's happening by the people that demand loyalty to their teams and the teams are what's hurting our country so i'm with you on that for sure yeah and on that note i'm very concerned um i think oklahoma has this for example there are actual places where you can go vote and say uh just do all republicans straight party tickets yeah which i find completely disturbing i almost would like to remove party affiliation from ballots me too i would love that i think that would do a lot to help our country i really do and randomize the order of names yep great ideas all right well um we couldn't solve all the world's problems in 55 minutes (laughs) so where can what's coming next for jennifer and how are you going to solve them well um for the 116th congress i'm going to watch a lot of hearings because there's going to be some good ones and um yeah i'm just going to keep going and trying to figure out what these people are doing in our name and with our money and if you guys want to know that i look at the past 
I'm not going to try and predict the future. I'm trying to do real news here. And if you support that, you can find me. Um, Congressional Dish is the podcast name. It's on iTunes, Spotify, just about everywhere. Um, you get on Pandora? Pandora. Oh, look at you. Is Pandora out yet? I don't even know. It's out. It's out. Okay. So yeah, Pandora. Um, and at congressionaldish.com. And that's the one thing that I also do that I think needs to be more essential for the people that we trust is I don't think people should trust me. <laughs> I wouldn't. And so I provide all of my sources on congressionaldish.com. So as you listen cool. to my episodes, you can go to that episode's show notes and you can see where I'm getting it from. And I think that's really important. And we need to demand that of more people. Do you have any future plans to, shall we say, get more knowledge from actual staffers versus C-SPAN? Oh, they write to me all the time, honey. Okay, good. Because I, I worry too much that even the hearings, yes, they're long and boring. Most people don't watch them. There are things that are going on, um, Soto Voce, that we don't necessarily see. Yeah. No, I have my I have my people that like to tell me what happens. Um, I've never said any of their names and I never will, but I do have people that just be like, hey, heads up. But actually, I find that everything that I need to know, because this has only been a recent phenomenon now that my podcast is big enough that staffers listen to it. But everything we need to know is in the laws and the hearings give us an idea of the debate behind the creation of them. But everything we need to know is in black and white. You know, that's the, one of the coolest things about our government is online. We get the text of the laws. We get the text of them as they're being created. Um, There's certain checkpoints on all these things. I really don't need to be in the D.C. bubble to know what I need to know. And in fact, I hmm. think it's helpful not to because the group think doesn't happen to me. So I'm in I'm just outside of Oakland. I have no plans on getting myself to be more of a DC insider because I think that's one of the reasons why this stuff even happens because they just kind of think their behavior is normal. And as a taxpayer, I'm on team taxpayer and I want to stay there. Cool. Actually, um, I'll close out with one idea that I heard I really liked. And it was that congressmen are supposed to be representing their home areas. Yeah. So they need to be home all the time, not in a centralized location. And they should float around like a conference to go vote every year. So one year it's in Vegas, another year it'd be Seattle, another year New York. And instead of having them all together in Washington, they would fly like it's a seminar to go make some laws. I love that idea. And I think it would help people understand each other better too. Because if you're someone from Oklahoma that's never been to New York, like how can you really understand and vice versa? You know, how can you mm -hmm. really understand? But if you, if you're a New Yorker and you have to go and stay in Oklahoma for a while and wait, I can't get pizza at 4am? Like, what is this place? I just think that it would help them so much to be able to understand each other's situations better. I absolutely love that idea. Because there well, are people cool. like uh, Don Young of Alaska. He's a great example. Mm -hmm. He's been Alaska's only representative now for over 40 years. How much time do <laughs> you think he's spending in Alaska? <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> you know? These people have lived in D.C. Their life is in D.C. Their friends are in D.C. They don't have much connection to their homes. Yeah, and I think that would help resolve it. It actually is the way it was established to begin with. They would ride in to go vote, but they would spend most of their time at home. Well, and at this point, too, we do have the ways to where they don't necessarily have to be in the same room to vote. So True. we could make that work, too, where they do spend more time in their own communities. Um, there are different ways to do this, but I think before we can even talk about changing the system, we have to get money out of politics. So the people making the changes are not these bought off garbage people 
Um, and I mean, as in they are the garbage, I respect my garbage men, but like (laughs) 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 these people that take all the money, like I'm really furious with them. And so when, if we're going to change the system, these can't be the people that are writing those, those new rules. They just can't. Well, on that note, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. This was really fun. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more, please check out unstructuredpod.com. There you can find all the episodes, free subscription information, and most of the players, and even how to contact me. I would love to hear from you. You can even set up a 15-minute call with me about the show or anything you like. Again, it's at unstructuredpod.com, and I hope to hear from you. Now, in the spirit of sharing, here are other shows you may want to consider checking out. Thanks again. Hi, I'm Tyson Franklin, the host of It's No Secret with Dr. T, which is a small business and marketing podcast. Each week, I interview business leaders who openly share the secrets to the massive success. It's No Secret with Dr. T will educate, entertain, and inspire you. Check it out. You'll find it wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can go to my website, TysonFranklin.com. I did not grow up with very much money. Money's energy. Money is something that really scares me. Yeah, I had about 60 grand in debt. Money isn't the answer. Somebody should just give me a lot of money. My dream was to be the WWE wrestler, but you realize that your dreams change over the years. Money's a tool. It's a key to a gate. And at the other side of the gate is the things that you really want to do with your life. It's the things that matter most to you. It's pursuing those values that make you ultimately happy. Listen to Inspired Money at inspiredmoney.fm.